I'm Mary Schuster, and this is RamQuest Pandemic Practices Podcast. Hello, and welcome back, everyone. In our quest here at the pod to bring you many different facets of important topics, we sometimes keep coming at an issue from different perspectives, so you can learn more about it from an angle you maybe hadn't considered before. So that's what we're doing again today on the subject of electronic closings. We wanted you to have an episode where your notes could help you to craft a successful vendor selection process, implementation program, training regimen, and adoption plan. Now to do that, we call on someone who has been active in the space for several years now, but this person hasn't sat back in a dark room coding up solutions in search of a problem. Rather, we wanted someone from a product team whose job it is to be out in your shops, listening to and interviewing you about specific needs and specific demands. We wanted to spend time with someone who has listened and created improved products, who did so while leaving their assumptions at the door. Well, Jay Hollis has served in just such a role with industry-leading Pavasso as the Vice President of Product Strategy, and he's very knowledgeable about the nuts and bolts aspects of starting up or ramping up an e-closing segment of your business offerings. You might want a pen or notes-taking app for this one, as Jay lays out some very practical tips and tricks, such as how to get started, what to ask vendors, which elements to consider around data privacy, how to marry up and process a lender package that might come from one source, plus your own title and settlement docs that come from your own title production system, and how to approach the question of just how many e-closing providers you might need to be proficient in. If you thought maybe you'd heard everything there was to hear about digital closings, you haven't. I promise you'll find at least one practical gem in this discussion with Jay that will make your foray into the arena at least a little bit smoother. And who doesn't need as many time-saving steps as we can find right now, right? So please enjoy the benefit of Jay's hard-won knowledge. And when you find that gem, shoot us an email and let us know just what it was you found especially helpful. Jay Hollis, thanks so much for being here and welcome to Pandemic Practices. So let's start by recapping a little bit, getting a little bit of the lay of the land. I know you've been doing this for quite some time. It was in its infancy when you showed up on scene, but if you would just take us through a little bit of how things have progressed since you've been on the scene. It's wild to think that um, 10 years ago, you and I, Mary, were traveling to DC and talking to legislators that were mainly focused around just transparency with the closing process. That was like the beginning of the digital wave. And then now you fast forward, no big deal that there's plenty of vendors to look at and compare to. And back then there was two or three maybe, you know, so that's been kind of fun for me to see the transformation over the last 10 years. But go back in time, like five years ago was really what I would consider the start to really increase people getting used to just e-closing. Every time I am on some type of panel, the clarification of e-closing, in-person, RON, REN, you know, it all gets chaotic. But I always like to remind people that Pavasso and other vendors started with just traditional e-closings, meaning signing some documents electronically. It might not have been all, but some. And that was really, you know, like I said, about five years ago, we started to see an increase of people just getting used to e-closing. And then you started to see a little bit of an uptick of the more full electronic closing, including e-notes, which that was a whole nother wave that we saw right before the pandemic. And so that got kind of got people familiar with more electronic, the better. And then you saw with the unfortunate pandemic, people forced to then go to the extreme, which is using remote technology. So I actually think it's probably a blessing in disguise that we had this few years of getting people used to E and digital because if it was just an all or nothing we had to use Ron out of the gate, it would have been even worse. And it wasn't the easiest thing for us to all as an industry kind of take on over the last like year and a half now. But 
the slow uptick now kind of forced people to jump right in. And we did see some chaos the first couple of months, but I think people's minds were already thinking, okay, I know that e-closing is achievable. And then they just had to kind of think about, well, how do I implement a virtual experience on top of that e-closing? So I think the building block was there. And that's one thing that, you know, we as Povasso have been around for, like I said, about 10 years total time. The title companies, attorney firms, and even lenders that are doing some signings as well, they were at least used to the baseline of the e-closing, which prepared them for the RON experience. It takes a long time to implement these solutions. So that's kind of my tie back to five years ago. And it's still to this day, people are still slowly adopting digital. So it's not something to be ashamed of if your company hasn't already gone full e or digital. It's just something that you might as well jump in now while everybody's talking about it, because that ultimately will help you ask questions and get answers and ultimately implement a solution within your company that actually makes sense and is easy to train new employees. You touched exactly on one of the key reasons I really was looking forward to having you as a guest, because I would expect that most people in our audience probably don't realize that Pabasa was 10 years old. But what that means, too, is you've been working on this for 10 years. So you weren't in a situation being faced, oh, there's a pandemic. Our customers need to figure out how to do remote signings. Well, let's go see what we can build. That's one of the curses, I guess, of being a technologist is that you come to something and get excited about it and develop it and kick its tires and make enhancements to it many times a decade before the market realizes the need for it. So I would imagine that in some ways for you, it's a bit exciting to, after 10 years, finally see some of that uptick going on in the marketplace and seeing an agent say, go from yeah, Ron ran, I don't know. It's like a million pieces above my head to, oh yeah, that I get it. Why I need it now. I get why it is. And I at least somewhat understand how it's going to be relevant in my marketplace. Absolutely. I think the fun thing for me, I was more involved in the day-to-day kind of product development of Pavasso and and what we call digital closing, which is our kind of core application. And that was fun for me to actually travel around pre-COVID and go to see people and ask them, you know, what do you like? What do you not like? Because that helped me understand what are the challenges that people are facing with implementing digital signings. Because we've been doing paper signings for so long, it's so much easier to go back to what you're familiar with. And so implementing digital is a big, undertaking. And that was part of our onboarding strategy when we were bringing on the first few companies, the ones that were like, I'm going to figure this out no matter what it takes. And we would go sit in their offices with them. That was part of our mission, more of being evangelists for the whole sphere of digital and not just for our one company. That was one of the things from the very beginning that we wanted to do is whether you pick Pavasso or some other vendor out there, we want to make sure that at least we did our part with educating them on what can we do to help not interrupt your day to day because we know when you're sitting down and you've got closing after closing after closing, you don't even have time to think about implementing new technology. What we did and what we still do is sit down with companies and strategize and say, okay, what can we do first? Maybe we sign a few documents electronically and you still do the majority in paper. And that's kind of your lead in where you're getting used to the technology, but it's not this burden of you taking on a full closing that might go completely terribly. And now your customers are all mad at you. But maybe if you just say, hey, we're going to sign all these docs. But by the way, we're also going to do this little digital signing for a few docs. And then the customer goes, oh, that was kind of cool. Well, now you feel good. I got good reaction from an actual person that's sitting here in the office with me. Then you move on to the next evolution of 
of saying, okay, now let's commit to doing more than half or 80% of all the docs electronic. And maybe we're leaving the note and the deed or something else like that as the only paper signed docs. Then you get a better experience because now you might hear another success where someone comes into the office and goes, this is so cool. I got to sign my signature once and just tap, tap, tap. So much better than flipping and having a cramped wrist when I leave the office. Next time they come into the office, they don't want to come to a closing because they know it's just such a burden. Well, if you can have experiences where you see the success, it helps the rest of the office see like, oh, this is a good thing. Maybe we should actually continue this because we're getting great feedback. You know, our realtors are happy. Lender partners are happy because they've got an immediate reaction. They know when a closing happens, they know immediately, oh, look, here, here's a copy of the signed docs. They're not having to wait for a FedEx package. So those little victories is what we would like to and what we did remind people of when we were sitting in their office, when they were trying to learn the technology and they were getting frustrated frustrated, we would go, but hey, think about how cool it's going to be when you can go tell your lender partner that the second that a closing happened, they're going to get a copy of their documents to start doing that post-closing QC process. Think about how cool it's going to be that realtors are going to be excited to bring their customers in because they're going to say, hey, I'm using ABC Title Company because they've got this great new thing that you can sign your signature once. When you start to get those successes and you can start to see the vision of where this can go, that's when it starts to naturally inspire the rest of your company to start to want to do it instead of thinking it as a challenge or a burden. That was kind of something from the very beginning that we tried to help people get in the right mindset when they're implementing a new technology because we knew it was going to be a challenge. It wasn't as easy as just saying, go sign up on the website and start using it. We knew that that was never going to work because when you're talking about disrupting someone's business workflow, it's not that simple. Sure. That makes a lot of sense. Let's imagine for a minute that I work at a title company and I'm just naturally curious or I'm in the doghouse this week. Somehow I get the assignment to figure out a plan for my company to begin to offer something in the digital closing realm. First off, how do I start? Do I talk to a good lender partner and see if they're interested? How should I kick that off? the best thing to do is go create a kind of small task force to go figure it out. Because if you do that, then you've got people within your own company that are now focused on achieving the ultimate goal, which is implementing some type of new digital process. So that's kind of what we suggest to people is pick one person or a small team. If you have people within the company that are focused on it, it's like any other project out there. You've got to have some people that are considered like your project manager, whether you're building a house or you're building technology or implementing technology. You need somebody who's leading the charge. You give them kind of the checklist of we need to make sure we're meeting state compliance, we're meeting our underwriter compliance, we're meeting our lender compliance. All the people that need to share data with us or be involved in this transaction, we've got to make sure that they are okay with the way that we're wanting to change. Because when you're talking about switching from a paper to a digital there is a little bit of change. Now you've got more audit data, you've got more information that's being shared between vendors. And so you wanna make sure everybody's comfy with that and then make sure that you can gather the information that they're going to require. That's another key piece because some vendors may not have the data that maybe your underwriter or your lender partner is going to require of you when you start to move to a digital. The next kind of thing for me is when you move past the regulatory compliance, then you move into more of the vendor checklist. Okay, so you start looking at all the vendors in the space because there's a lot of people that have started to build some type of digital or RON solution in the last year, which is a good thing. It kind of forces us 
all to make sure that we're staying up to speed and we're creating tools that's going to be useful for the industry. I welcome competition. I, I love it because then people start coming up with creative solutions. And that's part of what we as Pavasso and other people in the space have been doing it for a long time. We have to stay on top of listening to what's going on in the marketplace and listening to what our competitors are doing, because then you might have a title company or attorney partner or a lender partner who says, hey, you know, we compared you to this other vendor. We like what they're doing because of this one thing. That's okay. We always try to consult with them and say, completely understand, just want to make sure that you know that now you're going to disrupt your company starting back to the very beginning. So this whole like undertaking of implementing a digital solution, it's not the easiest to then just switch to another vendor. So I say all that because when I talk about putting together the team members, that'd be kind of like my first suggestion. Second suggestion would be the regulatory from a state and county compliance, and then also your underwriter, lender partners, or anybody else that's involved. And then when you go down to the vendor checklist, best to look to see what does everybody offer, and then looking to see what data is being shared, what kind of integrations might they have, because then that's ultimately something that will help in the long run is picking a vendor that has the integrations that you might need. Data sharing, document sharing. One of the key things that we always focus on when somebody's looking at solutions is, hey, when you're getting these documents prepared for signing, who's going to be doing the digital tags? Instead of putting the stickies on the paper, you've got to find out who's doing the digital stickies. And so that's kind of key because if you pick a vendor that says, hey, we've got this great, easy to use tool, all you have to do is add the tags and, and drag and drop. Mm-hmm. Well, you're kind of adding additional labor versus if you look at someone who says, we've got integrations with doc prep companies, title production systems, the people that are creating the document. And all that data is actually flowing through an integration. Well, now you at the closing table, you don't have to make a guess. You don't have to drag and drop and make a guess whether a tag needs to be applied or not, because the people that created it, the source is actually telling you. So that's kind of a key thing to look at is when you're picking vendors, data flowing through integrations, and then also whether they have been vetted by your partners as well. That's kind of circling back to my first point of looking to see from a compliance perspective. For example, we as Pavasso, anytime a new state comes on and says, we're about to release new legislation, if that state says in order for you to do business in my state, you've got to meet our requirements with this new legislation, we'll jump right in and say, what do you need us to provide you to make sure that we're vetted? Because that way it's not an issue for our customers where they don't have to call us and say, hey, do you meet all these requirements, these hundred things that I just had my attorneys spend hours wasting their time going through? Instead of doing that, we can say, hey, look, here's our documentation from the state that we meet all their requirements. It makes it super simple for a customer or potential customer to say, hey, they're already vetted in all the states we do business. I'm going to pick this vendor over that one. I want to come back to and recap on something because I love that you gave an idea of some of the things to ask vendors or some of the things to be on the lookout for because, you know, I think the average shopper in this space is a bit intimidated to go shopping and evaluating because they don't know quite what's important. So they might know what they want their consumer experience to be and they might know what their lender's thresholds are. But when choosing a vendor, what are the types of questions that they should be asking. And so you mentioned some of them. You mentioned what's going on with data sharing. What kind of integrations are happening? Is there a selling of data? Keep going with that list. 
I think those are definitely on the top of the list. I always ask people, where are you getting your source data from, your documents, your order information, whether that's the LOS or your TPS, where are you getting your source? And then let's follow the train downhill. And so if you've got aggregation of data in the title production system, then you look to see, okay, I'm going to have to pass data to another vendor to complete the process here. One of the things to ask is what data is flowing? Is it the full data file that it's in my title production system? Because I don't want that. I don't want to give every bit of data that I have. That's the whole point of a title production system or an LOS. That's the source of all the data. You start to ask, well, what data is flowing? Because one thing that we try to do is we try to only take the data that we need and nothing else because we don't need all this other information about people that are signing documents. And you don't want it, I'm thinking. We don't want it. But some companies, some other vendors might want it. Exactly. For different usage. So that's a very good conversation to have. You touched too on how are the documents getting, I'm going to use a word that isn't a word, eified. And you had the great analogy of when it was a mail away, we'd put a sign here, sticker and a date here and initial and notarize here and blah, blah, blah. So the equivalent needs to be done to each digital document, right? So talk people through some of the questions to ask in regard to that. Yeah, one of the key things that we've noticed over the years is if it's on the lender space, there are quite a few document prep companies that offer converting flat PDFs to what they're calling smart docs or e-enabled, you know, getting it ready for electronic signing. So that on the lender side, they've been doing that for a few years, which is great because then the lender docs are already tagged. So when they're flowing into a vendor like us and needing to be combined with the title docs, most of the time when we implement a new lender or lender docs are flowing downhill to us, we're looking to see is the source of their data or their documents, are they tagging those and what style of tag? Because there's a whole bunch of different ways to digitally tag documents. But if you're a title partner and your lender says, yep, all of our docs are already e-enabled, that's great because then our job is to then combine that with your title docs and kind of create one closing package within the system. So that way you have visibility to say, I've got two sources of data now. I've got my lender docs that came in and my title docs. I just need to add those. Or you as a title company may say, I'm going to combine those within my title production system and just send it all at one time over to a vendor like Pavasso. And if that's the case, also perfectly fine. But when they come into our system, one of the key things is we want to make sure we are able to read the kind of metadata, the data that's embedded in that document to see what documents have been tagged or not. And then on the title side, RamQuest is a good example. The white text tagging in the RamQuest documents, the great thing there is that not only are RamQuest adding the tags for their customers, but also giving the customers the ability to put the tag data in themselves so they can make modifications if they say, well, we want an extra initial tag on this one document. That's another key thing to look for is, are you also in control of the tagging if you need to? One of the issues that we see on the lender side they have to go back to their doc prep company and say, hey, I need you to make this one little change. You know, I want this date field to change. Well, that may take weeks for them to implement if it's the wrong vendor that doesn't have flexibility to make changes quickly for their lender partners. So I say that story because it's the same thing on the title side. You want to make sure that although the documents and your title production system or whoever you're getting your docs from, although they may say that they've started the process of tagging the documents or making them e-enabled, you also want to have that backup of saying, yeah, but can I also have flexibility where I can make modifications if I need to? Because the worst thing in the world is waiting potential weeks for modifications to be made when you're trying to get closings done the next day. That's another key thing to look for is that flexibility and, and giving yourself the tools. 
Okay, so the best of both world would be if my title production system created the documents already eat up, already with the tags assigning instructions essentially in place. But it's important that I also retain the flexibility to make modifications on the fly so that I'm not sitting in some lockdown somewhere waiting for somebody with a propeller on their head to change my document for me. Absolutely. Another thing to follow up on that is I mentioned the source of the documents, but then you also have to look at a third angle, which is the actual signing platform giving you flexibility as well. So even if the source data was great, there might be one little tiny thing where the source was wrong. In a certain circumstance, could be a county restriction, state restriction, could be a certain type of loan. Maybe the document had a signature tag, but it actually meant to have an initial tag or something like that. And the vendor that's doing your actual signing, one thing to look out for there is do they have the capability to make or allow modifications at the closing table? If not, you're having to contact the source, which might not be you, it might be your lender partner, or possibly redraw the whole package, and then it just becomes a nightmare. Now you've got an angry customer who's sitting at the closing table, possibly waiting another hour for their signing to start. Or if it's a remote, they might have to reschedule for the next day, and now they threw off their whole week. It gets a little chaotic. So one of the things is when you're looking at the signing vendor, what capabilities do they have for what I'll call tagging, even though other vendors may call it something different, but getting those tags added to the document. And if there's something that needs to change, flexibility of making those changes on the fly. And also when those changes are made, communication and transparency back to all the other parties involved. If a notary or a closing agent that's doing the signing modify a tag by changing it from yeah, like, oh, shoot, we had this tag for Jay, but it actually meant to be for Mary. You can make that change on the fly, but you need to make sure the vendor is logging that change and making sure it's transparent. So that way, if the lender partner or whoever else is involved comes back after the closing and says, well, why'd that change get made? That wasn't what was supposed to happen at the time. There's at least an audit trail to show who changed it and maybe a reason why. And that helps a lot of times with transparency, because sometimes people will say, okay, we completely understand why you did that change, but now we need to rectify it post-closing, which happens every once in a while. So you, again, touched on two really important parts of this where people have a lot of questions and they have a lot of hesitancy. The first being, how much control am I giving up? Am I just strapping into something that's going to happen auto-magically and I lose the control that I need to have and then I'm responsible to have if I'm the escrow agent? And then the flip side of that is the lender side of the equation of saying, well, yes, we want you to be able to handle things for the closing, similar to what you do now, but we also need this audit trail. And I would imagine you've had to spend a lot of time standing in between that space and making sure that both of those objectives are sort of equally and fundamentally met. Has that been a challenge? Definitely a challenge. You want to track as much as you can, but there is also a little bit of a gray area of tracking too much where now it's kind of like the big brother type thing of spying on people's data and asking them for more than you really need. So kind of circling back to my earlier point of if we don't need the information, we're not going to ask the person to type it in. Or if it's an audit data piece that is not necessary or not required, then we might not track it on purpose. Now, there is a lot of reason why we want to track as many actions, things that are clicked or changed or whatever that might happen, because you want to be able to kind of visualize the story of what happened. And that's part of the reason why with Ron, you've got a literal visual recording. And so you can see what happened. And that's a big piece of the kind of bigger audit picture. But when you're looking at more of just a line by line audit, whether it's in a PDF or some other format, 
you want to supply as much of a history of what happened so that way the other parties involved can kind of replay each of the actions. But you don't want that audit log to have every bit of data possible because if that audit log gets shared or emailed to the wrong person, now you're exposing you know potential PII that is potentially harmful for the consumer. So there's a little bit of a delicate balance there with what do you log and then what do you also expose in a public log that can be shared as the loan is kind of moving from one constituent to another. And realistically, if I'm a title agent, am I going to be in relationship with just one digital closing vendor or might I have to be in relationship with several based on the requests from the lender? A lot of times you have to be familiar with a few different technology solutions out there from the closing perspective, because you might have one lender that prefers only one vendor. And then you've got another lender that's funneling business to you that says, well, we only use this other guy. And so it gets a little tricky from the signing perspective. I think that brings up a good topic of education and training, because from the vendors in the space, one of the things that we try to give our users is continuous education. Because to your point, we see sometimes where title companies have to learn three or four different solutions to meet all their lender or underwriter requirements or whoever they're out you know trying to meet the requirements of when they learn all these solutions we're all similar we're not all the same and so then you log in you haven't logged into one for months possibly we on Pavaso have what we call Pavaso University where you can go through and do a refresher training or you've got all these guides to kind of give you like a visual clue of oh yeah yeah I remember that now kind of on-demand self-service. Exactly. That, oh gosh, I haven't opened this up for 90 days and I forgot what I used to do. Exactly. Oh, that's cool. Those things are kind of key to look out for when you do have multiple solutions. It's one of those unfortunate things right now where you're having to learn multiple tools, but when you have your people on the ground, if they're not using the tools frequently or you're not reminding them to log in just to make sure their account's active, then they're going to get even more frustrated when the closing comes through and their password has expired, or they can't remember their username, and then they get through those hurdles. Well, now they forgot, do they click this button or that button? And then that's where we hear horror stories where they reach out to our support and they're like, I don't understand how your system works, fix it. And well, it might not be even anything broken. It might just be they're clicking on the wrong thing and getting frustrated. Yeah, they just forgot what happens. That's a key thing. Continuous education of the tools that you're using remind them, hey, If you see a closing coming through for this lender partner, if it gets scheduled on the books, you might want to jump in a day early just to make sure that, let's say they're using Pavasso, just make sure you can still log in, access the file, kind of re-familiarize yourself with it. At the end of the day, that's ultimately going to be great for the consumer. When they show up, then you're going to feel like the rock star, like, oh yeah, I use this tool every day, even though you might not have touched it for a few months giving them the impression that you know what you're doing is the ultimate goal because you're the professional closer. That's part of your job. So that's why we, like you said, we try to give self-service tools. That way you're not having to feel like you don't know how the tool works. You can go through, kind of do a quick little refresher and feel empowered on that day of, especially when you're talking about Ron, because you know we're seeing increases in the number of remote transactions, mm-hmm. but it's still not the norm. People are going potentially weeks or, or months without doing a RON themselves, even though their company might be doing multiple every week or every month, we're still seeing that happen. And then that's where people get even more frustrated because then they might have switched computers and now their camera and their audio is all messed up. And that just doesn't look good when you're showing up the day of the signing and you're having to fix it on the fly. One of the things that we try to do is give you a system test. And so if you get an order assigned to you, you can click on the little system test, make sure everything looks good. You can do that a day or multiple days before the closing actually happens. 
And so I say all that because I just want to make sure that people understand that even if you implement a digital solution, you've got to make sure you're reminding your employees or your team members to continuously educate not only what's going on with your partners, your lender partner, your state, whatever they may be changing or doing, but also the actual technology itself is making sure you're up to speed. And like I said, whether it's formal reminder training or kind of making it a habit of people going back in if they haven't used something in a while. And when they see a scheduled closing come in, making it a habit to jump in the technology a day or two before, then that gives us as a vendor where if something is wrong with your account, we've got plenty of time to fix it. So it's not a a panic at the last minute. That's a really good tip. Well, obviously we have more agents utilizing this today, but I think there's also still a good swath that when you first started talking to them about digital closings, they said, yeah, I'm going to wait. I'm going to stay back here. I'm not going to pioneer anything. I'll see how this goes. I'll see what demand's like and and I'll watch, but I'll, I'm going to hang back here and evaluate. And then last March, April, May happened and it was, oh my God, you have got to do digital closings now, now, now. And I mean, they were having trouble getting signed up, trained. They didn't know who to sign up with. There was just this backlog. And then a lot of them jumped through hoops and now there's just sort of this low level buzz of demand, but nothing great. But I think we still have this other group of agents that said, ah, you know, let's see how this plays out. We're going to do our curbside closings and our patio closings and our this. And if we have to, we'll figure this out. And probably there's some that haven't yet had to. So for that group, let's talk to them now, because it sounds like you're recommending that they go ahead and come in the water a little bit. You're not trying to tell them that all of their closings in six weeks are going to be digital. So they need to get on the stick. But For those people that want to begin walking towards this, where do you see the future state of things? Where do you see things going? What are the right things to focus on? And what's just kind of ancillary out there that they don't need to be so worried about? It's great if you're even just willing to implement a digital solution. And even if it's not Ron, starting with something like a platform like ourselves or other vendors who can do multiple types of closings, that's the best way to get started is pick a solution that is some type of platform you can grow with. Because even if you guys want to just start with doing your curbside closings or your in-person closings electronically, that's the easiest way to get people familiar with it because then you can kind of mentally think of the remote as being a new layer of technology stacked on top of that kind of core, which is the digital signing. And so that was what we tried to do when we were building our remote technology was keep it as similar and familiar to our in-person signings as possible. The only difference being when you pop that document up on the screen, you just have a little camera icon and you have a button that says, you know, share with, and then you pick Mary or share with Jay. And the only key difference is you've got a little bit of extra features. And one of those features being the ID validation process. That's probably the trickiest piece. And so when we try to help people implement a digital solution, we like to suggest, hey, you don't need to go full Ron if your company doesn't have to. You know, if you guys still feel that you can achieve everything that you need to with just doing the in-person signings, then let's start there. Let's digitize that first because then what we can do is slowly get you used to the Ron requirements by doing the education series like we talked about and teaching you all those little tips and tricks of what to look for. Because then when you start to implement remote, you're talking about the audio video piece being new, but that ID validation instead of someone handing you their ID there's key pieces there where you've got to start thinking about how am I going to overcome some type of issue 
if it comes up, their ID is expired, where in the paper world, you basically turn them away if they can't provide valid identification. And so I say all that because when you're talking about implementing the solution, best to start with at least something digital, work your way to the full Ron, full E, but you don't need to unless your company is kind of forced to. That'll buy you some time to get used to all those little nuances. And then that's our job as a vendor is helping you progress to that. Ultimately, you know, to answer your question about what am I seeing for kind of the future, I do see that more companies are starting to implement Ron, even if they are only doing one a week. It's a goal that we've seen a lot of kind of management within these companies set for themselves where they've implemented the digital solution. They might've been doing a few hundred a month. They're comfortable with that. Now they've implemented their own internal goals to say, let's at least do one Ron a week where they ask parties, hey, if you're comfortable with staying at your house and doing this remote, let's use this technology for it. So then they they get used to doing it. And then they hear within their company, hey, we, we did our first one. It was successful. Here's some things that we might want to change for the next one. Maybe we want to send out a a letter or uh, an email to the consumer to let them know next time of kind of like some things to think about. And what we've seen on that journey of success is those people that did at least like one or two, and they kind of made themselves do that. Then within a month or so, now they're doing 20. And it's no big deal because now the people within the office or their team members are saying, hey, I did a Ron the other day and I forgot to do this one little thing. Make sure you don't do that on yours. And they go, oh, cool, great. Well, now the experience is even better. That's always been a success story that I've seen is when people are setting their own goal of doing one or, or a few and then kind of circling back internally, reevaluating and saying, OK, what might we want to change the way we're doing these? And that always, from what I've seen, has led people to be more comfortable and then ultimately doing more remote. And it's not that we're telling you to go full remote. It's that you want to feel comfortable that you can offer that to your partners and your customers and consumers. When they're signing, instead of you saying, yeah, well, we need you to come do the curbside, you can say, hey, we can do curbside or we can also do this remote if you're comfortable. So that's nice. And then that way you're not only utilizing remote for the emergency cases where someone is stuck across the country or stuck in Europe. They can't come back to the United States. We hear that a lot where people say, I've only used Ron for these emergency cases. And those are not a good experience for everybody because usually in those emergency cases, you haven't used the technology in a long time. You've got somebody in another country or possibly another time zone. Now you're having to stay up till 10 o'clock at night or wake up at four o'clock in the morning to do a closing. So it's a bad experience for everybody, well, then that just puts a sour taste in everybody's mouth. Yeah. Anytime you're operating reactively on a closing, which is tense and time constricted anyway, Mm -hmm. it just blows up, right? Right. Never a good experience. And so that's kind of the key is um, when you start with implementing at least something as a small goal, it helps everybody mentally feel like you're not just rushing to do something and implement technology. In my opinion, is the worst way to convince your team members to implement new technology. If you make it feel like, hey, we're going to try this out, kind of get some feedback within the group. If we want to change, we'll switch to something else or tweak it a little bit. That mentality and coaching from your executive leadership or your closing coordinator, team lead, whoever's kind of making that decision, whenever we've seen that, it's usually always a success uh, of getting people feeling comfortable with the technology and they feel more empowered to offer all these different closing types than they feel that they're offering it out of necessity or they're offering it with like a little bit of, hey, you can do this, Ron, but we don't want you to have to say but. We want to say, hey, we can do Ron. And you feel proud to say that. As I think about this and I I think back across the other 
guests that we've had this season, we've largely talked about e-signings and digital closing from the aspect of consumer demand, safety for the consumer, lenders looking out for their consumers. And we really looked at it from that. And I think collectively, we've kind of wondered where was the great demand. But also, as we've talked to managers and agency presidents who have said, we're always looking out for our people first. And if we can keep them healthy and safe, then our business is going to continue to be strong. And it's been somewhat frustrating for the bulk of escrow staffs to go through this because that's work that has to traditionally have been done in the office. And maybe you've rolled some processors out, but your closers are still there with their masks and their hazmat and their all their things. We don't know how long this is going to go on. We don't know if it's going to be something else in six months or six years. But as you've talked today, I've started to really appreciate how having this in your toolkit can also help keep your essential worker escrow agents safe and keep them at a better distance than a mask and a big long gripper handing documents back and forth and plexiglass. So I don't know if you've had any customers talk to you about that aspect or if you just see that as as something trending, but what are your thoughts on that? Part of the reason why people felt they should start looking at remote and other types of based out closings, because we have multi-device closing for that exact reason. We had companies that were asking us really actually before the pandemic, asking us for germ safety of our closing agents. Okay. What's multi-device closing mean? So multi-device closing is having the closing agent use one machine and the signers being able to use their own or a separate machine. So we're not having to share and pass things around. Oh, so like a consumer's own iPad or iPhone or something like that. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Got yeah. it. People approached us said, hey, is there any way we could do something like this? Because I want my people to feel comfortable that they're not having to share their personal laptop or tablet with potentially 10, 20 people a day. That was actually pre-pandemic. So we had some people that were thinking of that safety ahead of time. And so we started building a, a solution and we have that available today. And one of the things that's also nice in that process is you don't have to hand the ID over. You can actually ask the person on their own device to take a picture of the ID. So there's less contact points. Now moving from the multi-device kind of in-person experience to more of a remote, it's a key for not only safety, but also flexibility of people that might still just work from home or work remote completely. You know, one of the things that I've heard recently is the percentage of people at companies working remote is going to jump three or four times the amount of people that were remote pre-COVID. And that's just because people feel comfortable now. And so this actually creates a new business opportunity for closing agents or notary signing services of saying, hey, you stay at your house and then we'll funnel deals to you when we need your services of conducting the closing remotely. And it makes people more efficient from what we've seen. People are not bothered by people coming in and out of the office and wanting to chit chat. They're actually able, and those are, by the way, those are great things to have personal conversations. I'm not advocating against that, but it does make people more efficient where you cut down the closing time because utilizing technology tools instead of an hour closing, you're doing it in 15 to 30 minutes on average. And that's helping you be more efficient. Well, then the people that are able to stay remote and stay safe and stay feel comfortable at their house can still do the great job being a remote notary or remote closing agent. And I think that we will see people offer that still in-person experience where you've got the pop champagne and get hand over the keys. I don't think that's ever going to go away. But 
when that in-person experience does become kind of back to norm, we still want to offer tools like that multi-device closing to give you a little bit of comfort that you're not having to share all these things that people are touching. And maybe the only thing that's being shared is literally handing the keys over. That's kind of our goal is looking forward to the future is okay, we've had to build these things because of a pandemic, but also because some of our customers have wanted this more safe experience. But what's the next thing when people start returning back to the office or if a new business model like remote notaries start popping up where you've got people working from home, what can we do to give them tools and make it easier for them, whether it's a scheduling feature or some type of other thing that helps them be productive and be able to provide a service back to their lender or title partners. Those are kinds of things that we're keeping an eye on, not trying to predict the future, but try to see where we might be able to provide tools and solutions that help the industry keep this progress moving forward. You know, this has been great to see the last few years, the industry really paying attention to how can we be more efficient and digitize things and not necessarily out of 100% forced to, but actually now wanting to, because now it opens up your eyes to new business opportunities, whether it's international closings and signings or if it's something new, like a new notary network or being able to work with new partners that you didn't think you could before because you might have been stuck within your local area that you service. Now this makes you more global, which is cool to kind of start thinking about where this could go utilizing technology. Jay, that's great. And I'll tell you what I'm super appreciative of today is that you have been steeping and even down deep in the weeds of this for a decade. You didn't start thinking about it a few minutes ago. And it's just so obvious in talking with you how much of this stuff you've already figured out, your lessons learned, your best practices. And I think that as this continues to evolve, you're just going to continue to be a great resource for the industry. So we thank you so much for joining us today and appreciate you being part of the podcast. Thanks for having me. And these conversations are great. I feel like anytime we can have an open dialogue about what's working, what's not working, what's gonna be the next cool thing in the industry. I think it's best for people to pay attention because that helps us all as a collective. It's not one company trying to outshine everybody else. I think it helps the, the industry as a whole. It was fun to talk with Jay and gain from his experience. I can promise you we've only scratched the surface of his knowledge, and so he'll prove to be a great resource for you. Jay can be reached via email at jhollis, that's H-O-L-L-I-S, at pavaso, P-A-V-A-S-O, dot com. Feel free to introduce yourself and ask any questions he might be able to help you with. Don't forget to let us know what you placed on your action plan. Our email address is linked in the show notes that accompany each episode. Now, if you don't know where to find the show notes, try scrolling down while you're listening. You won't believe all the goodies producer Amy has placed there for you on a variety of topics that we cover in each conversation. So until next time, remember, you're the brightest spot in our economy right now. People have been reminded of why home is so, so important. You are doing an amazing job. And of course, what you do matters.